Amen. All right. They say you should not talk religion or politics, and I'm about to do both. Uh, so let's, uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. So <clears throat> Peter has just come through a section where he's told these guys who are waiting on a Messiah, you know, like these guys have seen Jesus and they're thinking maybe he's going to come back, maybe he's going to set up his own kingdom. He's just told them, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're sojourners. You're exiles here. And unless they were to think, woohoo, we can do whatever we want, he's going to tell them, you need to be subject to every human institution. You need to obey and submit to your emperor, to your governors, to every human institution. Uh, it's, it's a difficult teaching. Um, I just want to walk through, it's pretty technical, <clears throat> but I think we do a pretty good job, not a perfect job, but I think we do a pretty good job as Christians, and we do a pretty good job keeping the laws that run in line with biblical principles, right? Don't murder, for the most part, like don't, don't lie, don't steal, we do a pretty good job on those laws that run with biblical principles, but when it comes to laws otherwise, it's kind of, eh, got some stats. In the U.S., 112,000 drivers are given speeding tickets every day. 112,000 people are given speeding tickets every day. That is about 41 million speeding tickets given out every year. That's a good bit more than one speeding ticket per second. All right, show of hands. How many of y'all have received this? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. But a lot of times we debate, or Christians debate, about keeping laws that are man-made, especially laws we disagree with, especially from people we didn't vote for. And we think, all right, pay taxes, uh, you know, don't speed, put on a seatbelt. Who's going to tell me you got to save your own life? Like, what, what, why is this? I think it is inherent in Christians, in people, in humans, we don't like being told what to do, period. No matter if you're a rule follower or you're not, we don't like being told what to do by men. That's, that's rooted in our hearts. And you can see that all the way back to Adam and Eve. When the temptation wasn't, this fruit tastes good, it was, hey man, eat this, and you're gonna be like God. You're gonna decide what's good and what's evil. You get to call the shots. And since that day, that same spirit is in every human that's born. We want to call the shots. We don't want to submit. So let's jump in. 1 Peter 2, we're going to start in verse 13. We're going to hopefully go all the way to verse 25, but we've got to move quick. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Let's pause. Here's a question. He's just gotten done saying, we are citizens of another land. Like this world is not our true home. That we serve a true king, that we're aliens and sojourners here. So why on earth, literally, why on earth do we need to follow human institutions? I want to give three reasons. Two of them are going to come pretty quick and one of them is going to come towards the end. But I want to give three reasons that I think we find in this text that we're supposed to follow human institutions. The first one is, it is God's will for us to do so. God commands it, and that's enough. He says, obey it. 
and that's enough. But there's some things to think through because who is he saying that we need to submit to or to obey? It says every human institution. Now that word literally, institution means human creature or human creation. It's a pretty nuanced word, which I think is appropriate here because it's a reminder that all the institutions set up by man are human, which is a good reminder, especially when Peter is writing in a day where the emperor is saying, I am a God, I am not a man. He's saying these are merely human institutions. Uh, So this is really important, especially in a culture where the emperor worship was common. I want to read a similar passage, Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. Let that sink in for a second. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. He's God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, because he doesn't bear the sword in vain. He's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending this very thing. Pay to all what's owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. So in 1 Peter and in Romans, it's not just the emperor that we're supposed to obey. It trickles down. Peter's saying, we got to submit to all levels of government, to emperors, to governors, because God has appointed these guys, and he's tasked them with punishing evildoers and with praising good citizens. All right, what's missing here? Because there's one thing that pops out in my mind when I read this verse. I'm like, what about bad leaders, though? Like, Are we supposed to submit to them? Well, that's exactly what's missing. It doesn't say, submit to your leaders if and only if they're good. Submit to your leaders if and only if they do actually punish evil and they do actually reward good. It doesn't say, submit to your leaders as long as they make sense or submit to your leaders as long as you voted for them or as long as you agree with them. God put them in place. And why he put them in place? Maybe a question mark in our minds, but it's not in God's mind. He knows why he put our leaders in place. Now we could zoom out and ask, why are governments even necessary? And I think we all know by common sense, governments are in general good things because they, he just said, they, they punish the wrong and reward the good. Okay, and they sometimes get it wrong. They sometimes get things backwards. So what are Christians supposed to do then? We're gonna get into that. Like later on, when our laws oppose God's laws, what are we supposed to do? But when they're just unjust, here it's saying we're supposed to expect that. We're supposed to expect non-believers to act like non-believers, even if they're in leadership. We're to expect our leaders to be unjust. Now, is that a fine line? Sometimes, for sure. We need to use wisdom, and we'll jump into that. But why are we going to follow human institutions? For a non-believer, why would a non-believer follow the laws of our nation? Punishment. That's it. Pretty much. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons. One major reason is jail. We, we don't want to go to jail, and that is a motivation. If you ever contemplated something and thought, 
whoo, I do not want to go to jail over that. Like it's, it's motivational knowing one decision and the next 10 years can be totally, totally different. That is motivational, but also built into all humans, whether they're believers or not, there's this sense of morality in all humans. There's a God-given morality, even if that compass is broken, even if it doesn't quite point, point true north. Like for all people, there, there are limits to what most people will do. But for most folks, that morality plus the punishment kind of keeps them in line. Now, we know plenty of folks that will kind of play the risk-reward game where they'll be like, all right, if I actually get caught, what are, what are the chances that I'll actually get caught doing this? And then if I do get caught, what are the chances that I'll actually get punished for this? And there, what's the reward? Does it outweigh it? What about a believer? What's, what's motivating a believer? Here, first reason was we've already said God commands us to obey. But here he's gonna give us a second reason. Be subject, the verse says, and here's the reason, for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. All right, so there's a verse, we're talking about obeying government. In Matthew 22, it says this, and y'all remember this verse. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Okay, that makes sense if they're different things. But this is getting nerdy, all right? But when you think about, well, what things are God's? Well, the things that belong to Caesar also belong to God. Like, how does, how does this work out? So our tax monies belong to Caesar, but they also belong to God. How, how does this fit in? We're told to honor God in all things. And he says, what honors him, in this verse in Matthew 22, what honors him is to give honor and due to Caesar for the Lord's sake. That's the key. Rob prayed for Roy Cooper. He's our governor here in North Carolina, if you're visiting uh, from another state. Wh what does it mean when we talk about be subject for the Lord's sake? We don't submit to Roy Cooper for Roy Cooper's sake. We submit to the governor for the Lord's sake. We don't obey these laws for punishment's sake. That may be motivational, but we submit not because we have to, but because we choose to for the Lord's sake. It's honoring to the Lord. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. See here, doing good is in the context of submission to the government. So doing good means being a good citizen. We can see that back in that Romans passage where it says, pay to all what's owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So that's being a good citizen, but this verse is saying by doing good, which means not just don't do bad, he's saying go beyond that, go on the offensive and actually do good in your communities. Go beyond just keeping the laws and be a blessing. All right, I wanna share you the passage that kind of blew my mind this week. So those of y'all that have been in Red Oak for a little bit, those of y'all that are not on summer staff at Snowbird or are visiting, y'all remember the study we just did through the book of Daniel. All right, so in the book of Daniel, uh, if you weren't here, if you don't remember, if you're not familiar with Daniel, basically God's people were taken out of their land and they were brought and they were exiles in Babylon. And basically Babylon did everything they could to erase God out of their minds. They were given new names. They were given new homes. They were given new jobs. They were, some of them, they were castrated. They were taught in these different schools, kind of like a re-education in worldly thinking in a nation that is totally, to wildly pagan. I mean, they are murdering babies 
They are, I mean, this, this nation is terrible. They oppress, they murder. Listen to what Jeremiah says to those people, God's people who are in that nation. Listen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what he says. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat from them. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Don't decrease. Listen to this. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. That is heavy. You think, these guys are supposed to seek the welfare of a nation that just castrated them? That is trying to erase Yahweh? You think if any time a little civil disobedience was merited, you know, like, oh, let's just, you know, let's treat ourselves like we're our own little nation over here. We'll still be governing ourselves like Israel. Like, Judah's going to take care of ourselves. We're, we're not going to take care of Babylon's welfare. Here he's saying, seek the welfare of Babylon. Pray for the welfare of Babylon. And in its welfare, you find your own. Even though this is a godless culture. It is a culture that is murderous, that is out for assimilation the pattern set for us we are citizens of another land and it's tempting I think in a democracy to buck against elected officials as if we put them there we did not you see what I'm saying we are citizens of two kingdoms we're citizens of the U.S. And we're citizens of God's kingdom. But these kingdoms don't have equal authority and shouldn't have equal allegiance. God is the ruler of both. Just like God owns everything that Caesar has and all things, God's the ruler of both. We submit to God and then we honor and pay tribute to God by submitting to the second. And not just submission, we go beyond that to seeking the welfare of our communities, of our nation, by doing good, not just avoiding bad. What does that mean? What does it look like? And so many different things, but I think the thing that pops into my head immediately is, so we can't sound off crassly against a leader that God appointed, even if we don't agree with him, on serious issues. This verse is saying, it's God's will that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. If we're slandering the leaders that God put in place, that's giving foolish people ammo to slander Christians. We're supposed to put that to silence by doing good. Ignorant slander dissolves before consistent holy behavior. Ignorant slander dissolves before consistent holy behavior. Man, I was convicted of this. It's kind of a little bit to the side, but like how often are we hypocritical on the if something doesn't submit to God's law? Like we'll be all, man, if this law contradicts God's law, then I'm fighting. But then we'll happily adopt other things into our behavior that totally contradict God's laws. You know what I'm saying? Like we get this public outrage with this private unholy behavior. You know what I'm saying? We're inconsistent. It's hypocritical if we're like, man, I'll be danged if you're going to teach that to, to, to my kid in that school. I'll be danged if you're going to do that. And that breaks God's law, but then we're fine with bringing gossip into our house. And I'm saying this as a conviction to me. Like we're, we're fine with slander. 
We're fine with lust. We're fine with getting drunk. But sometimes we'll hold up this holiness as a motivation when our real motivation is more like autonomy. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Really. Doing good has to go beyond even community involvement to holiness. And I think for us, y'all, it's, it's easy to get derailed. I hope, I hope y'all get what I'm saying. It's easy to get derailed into making the primary thing, I've got to be on the right side of this issue. I've got to think rightly about this. I've got to combat this sort of thinking, this sort of policy making. But then we neglect kindness in our communities. Like we, we neglect compassion. We neglect holiness. Our, our right theology has to bleed down to compassion to real people. Truly. Let us be as passionate about people. I'm saying this to myself. I need to hear this. Let us be as compassionate and passionate about people as we are about thinking rightly. Verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. But living as servants of God. We like the first half of this verse. Live as people who are free. Heck yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a wild horse. You can't tame me. To quote a great philosopher, you can put some oats in the pen. I'll come and nibble them every once in a while. You shut that gate, I'll jump the fence. You never see me again, right? (laughs) Name that movie. All right. We think, man, live as people who are free. We're like, absolutely. I'm free. You can't tell me what to do. And we equate breaking laws with freedom like it seems like freedom like nobody can tell me how to drive nobody can tell me buckle up man breaking law seems like freedom but it's not it's the opposite we buck laws not because we're free but precisely because we're not we're in bondage to our cravings that's why we break laws i want to i want to do this i'm not going to do what north carolina tells me to do i'm going to do exactly what my cravings tell me to do and i'm not going to question them we're in bondage to our cravings see he's saying the opposite is you are free but don't use that as a cover-up for just doing what you want to do don't use it as a cover-up for evil you're free in Christ to obey so since we're free we freely pay taxes we freely keep the laws we don't submit to the desires that would say don't do that you you are free from the slave masters of your desires Romans 6 says don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions Your desires want to rule you, want to keep you enslaved. You're free to submit and be holy because your desires want the opposite. We submit freely, or to say it another way, because we are free, we submit. It's not the opposite where we're like, I don't obey these laws. I obey obey God alone. I am free from this nation's laws. That's just a bad cover-up for evil. Dan Doriani said, he brought us out of slavery for something more than self-indulgence. I like that. He brought us out of slavery for something more than self-indulgence. Because we're free, we're free to seek the welfare of a city or of a nation or of a state. So since we're free and since we do live in a democracy, we vote. We speak out for good policy. We need to do this. We get involved for the welfare of our nation. And thankfully, by God's grace, our nation has channels to where we can get involved. We get messy. And then we have compassion. We mirror the Good Samaritan. Our submission honors the Lord. Now, let me pause for a second. Because the influence that we have in our communities, I think it shouldn't make us at home in our communities. What what I mean by that is, be careful, there's no salvation in politics. There's just not. I mean, there's no candidate, no matter how awesome 
he or she seems. There's no candidate that can provide what only Christ can. It just can't. We can and should have influence. We can seek justice and have compassion within our communities, but only Christ's reign ultimately will have true justice and compassion realized. He said in this verse, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. All right, here's where we get to, what about when the nation's laws and God's laws contradict? Like, because he says live as servants of God. Even in our submission to governmental laws, we're still God's servants, for, first and foremost. So when God's law and man's law clashes, we submit to God. We submit to God. How are we supposed to live in that tension? Look back to Daniel. All right. Remember, he had that verse uh, that said, basically, you need to pray for this nation. You need to seek its welfare, seek the welfare of a city that is evil and terrible. Uh, they're known for murdering and raping and oppressing. These guys obeyed that. But when Daniel and his friends were told to worship Nebuchadnezzar, that was a no. No. That one's different. We can seek the welfare of a city even though we disagree, but when you tell me to worship something other than Yahweh, that's a no. Look at Peter. The same Peter that is telling us right now, be subject to every human institution. Look in Acts 4, it says, they called Peter and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The government who Peter say and submit to calls Peter in and says, here is the governmental law. Do not speak anymore about Jesus. And Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you be the judge, but we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Next chapter, Acts 5. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly told you not to teach in this name, yet here you fill Jerusalem with this teaching. Pause. You see what just happened? They brought him in the first time and said, you better not talk about Jesus anymore. Then they had to bring him in a second time because they still were doing it. And they filled all of Jerusalem with this teaching. And he says, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? And Peter, the guy who wrote, be subject to every human institution, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Submit to your rulers unless they require sin. Now, what's that going to look like? Because that sort of tension is going to take wisdom. Like, is, is your government forcing you or asking you or legislating that you must sin? In that case, you must fight, right? If our government comes in and says, you must stop preaching the gospel, we go to jail because we won't stop preaching the gospel. That's just it. Now, if the government comes in and says, Christians cannot own cars, what do you do? Is it oppressive to Christians? Yeah. Is it causing you to break God's law? No. What if our government is oppressing Christians? What if our government is legislating things that are against Christianity? Or that a Christian wouldn't? Abortion. What if our government's acting like non-believers? What if our government's steering the country in a non-Christian way? How do you navigate those? With wisdom. That's where James says we ask for wisdom, but we submit and honor for the Lord's sake where it's possible. We fight and disagree honorably. We personally obey God. 
That, those situations are going to take wisdom. We'll get into that a little bit more in a second. Verse 17. Well, I'll say that. You'll, you'll know why in a second. Uh, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Four short thoughts, not so that we'd skip them, but so that we'd remember them. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Listen to the first one. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. The simplicity of that is beautiful and is convicting. Because immediately my mind says, well, not everybody's worth honoring. Right? Did your mind go there? Don't nod. <laughs> All right. I'm going to tell you, the reason I went, Bleh, is because I'm going to tell you a story that reveals I'm sinful. All right? Other day, I'm driving down the road. So our road's kind of a highway for drug-related activity. Uh, and so I'm driving down a road, and our neighbor comes driving up this way. His name is Luis Gomez, and he's wonderful. He's great. He comes driving up in his little Toyota. I'm like, hey, Luis, all right, and keep going. And then I saw a guy clearly strung out sitting in a ditch right there on our road. And I did not wave at that guy. And instead, I said something like, stinging meth head, that's wrong. Because immediately, this verse popped into my head, honor everyone, honor everyone. I went, dang. Because God made this guy in his own image. God cares for this guy. This guy didn't grow up wanting to be an addict. I need to hear this. The people that are walking down our street, honor them. Now, honor may look different for different people, but there's a way to honor everyone or else he wouldn't have commanded it. Honor is for everyone. And then he says, love the brotherhood. There's a special love for the brotherhood for believers. And Peter's gonna detail that out in a couple chapters, so I won't go deep into that. The last two are fear God and honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. The emperor here is singled out. He's part of everyone that we're supposed to, to honor, but he's singled out to say, yes, even that guy, honor everybody, even and especially the emperor. Now, who was the emperor in Peter's day? Y'all remember? Nero. Buh. Honor Nero? Nero called himself God? Nero was a terrible leader overall, set a giant fire, burned most of his own city down, like really terrible guy. He also tortured Christians after Peter wrote this book, like tortured, murdered. You see, we can't say, man, our leaders now, they're too corrupt to honor. They're not Nero. Like Peter, he knew corrupt leaders. When he was a boy, Herod the Great killed all the kids in Bethlehem. When Peter was a man, Pilate washed his hands of Jesus' murder. Now Peter knew Nero's corruption. And soon Nero is going to cover Christians in oil and burn them as lanterns in his garden. He's going to crucify Christians and sew their skins into wild beast skins and have animals tear them apart. If the church in this day is commanded to honor Nero, we are to honor Joe Biden. It will be easy, easy. When you honor the emperor or the president, you honor God. We do this for the Lord's sake. It's not that these leaders have earned our honor. We honor for the Lord's sake. Now, thankfully, in a democracy, we can vote against a candidate. We can speak up against a policy. And this is where the line gets drawn, and it's stark. We honor everyone, even the emperor, who we may like or not, may have voted for or not, may be oppressive like the Babylonians or Nero or not. But here he says, honor the emperor, fear God. 
honor the emperor, fear God. God alone is worthy of our awe, of our fear, of our worship. We honor the emperor, but we fear and worship and we put our hope in God alone. All right, now switch gears. Verse 18. So in this section, you know, Peter's kind of given these big realities for Christians, like uh, you're, you're a royal nation, um, you're a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, and in this section, he's kind of given these household rules, like, all right, you're not going to leave the culture, but within this culture, let me give you some rules. You need to submit to the government. Now he's going to give some laws for slaves. He's going to give some laws for married folks. He's going to keep on, these are kind of like household codes. So I'm going to go through this section a little faster. Verse 18, he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now some folks will say, see, the Bible's condoning slavery right here. It's not. It's not. We don't have time to go into all the nuances of how first century Roman slavery was different than the slavery we're familiar with in American history. Here, here's one thing that's really interesting. Oh, well, let me just say, Peter's not affirming slavery. It's a reality in his day. He's telling believing slaves, here's some guidelines on how you honor the Lord in your position. But what's really interesting is that he's addressing slaves at all. Like Juan Sanchez says this, the fact that slaves are included in this household code, it's radical in and of itself. First century household codes addressed, addressed masters, not slaves. But with Peter addressing slaves in this household code, Peter is elevating slaves to a place of dignity. He's recognizing the image of God. So there's kind of a parallel here for citizens respecting and honor governors, whether or not they're good. Here he's saying to slaves, respect and honor masters, the just and the unjust. Now in our culture, we don't have a parallel, I think, to slaves, obviously, but I think in our context, this would expand to anyone that's in authority over us. That could be government, that could be even jobs. So if you've had a job where you've worked for an unjust boss, uh, I, all right, so my first jobs, I worked two jobs when I was 16, I, I cut grass, and I worked at a shoe store, uh, and it was like a, uh, kind of like athletic shoes and basketball shoes, stuff like that. It was great. I really enjoyed that job, but the boss, his name was Mr. J, is what we called him. I think it was, I'm not going to say his whole name. Anyways, his name is Mr. J, and um, he was, uh, he had a good heart, but he was very forgetful at best, and it made for some unjust situations. So, one day I was in there and he said, hey, Spence, I want you to grab this pair of shoes and I want you to walk it down. There was like a shoe repair place, like three doors down. So I want you to walk it down, get these things repaired, bring the bill back, Gregory. So I grab a pair of shoes, I leave the shoe store, ding, and I walk into this other store, ding, and I'm like, hey, Mr. J wants to get these shoes repaired, great, 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 here's the ticket, great. I walk back in the door, ding, and he's like, where have you been? With the Red Wing shoe place? And he's like, why did you go down there? You're supposed to be on the clock. And I was like, Mr. J, you just said, take this pair of shoes down there and get them repaired. And he said, I did not say that. Go back and get them. Okie doke. So I went back and got these shoes and I came back in and he gave me a fantastic little speech about responsibility. And I just stood there and took it because I was like, mm, what I wanted to say was, you're an idiot. But I did not. But... <laughs> I think when we think about, all right, so that's a stupid illustration, but I, you know what I'm thinking about right now is I kind of just called him an idiot in my sermon. So does that negate what I did way back when I was, I was more mature at 16 than I am at 42? Dadgummit. Uh, 
that thought really just occurred to me. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. All right, let's go. Uh, I think what he's saying is if a slave can endure a harsh and unjust master with respect, then we can endure a harsh superior more easily. He's given us easier examples to follow. Oh, you guys don't have Nero? You guys don't have masters? You can show respect. You can submit. You can, you can show honor. You've got no excuse. Now, it seems hard because our culture prizes independence and rebellion fiercely. But in that sort of culture, man, honor and respect are going to shine brighter. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it if you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's gracious when mindful of God or for the Lord's sake, you endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. Have you endured sorrow for suffering unjustly? He contrast that with saying no no okay it's not credit for it if you sin and somebody beats you for it like if you if you show up late every day to your job and you do a terrible work and they fire you you can't be like oh I'm suffering unjustly no you earned that one like and if you if you bear up under that whatever like you you deserve that but it's saying if you're doing good things that reflect God's character in your work, benefiting your city and your workplace and you're maligned or you're fined or you're persecuted or you're beaten and you endure that, mindful of Christ, man, that is gracious in God's sight. Sight, God's sight. Don't, don't miss the wording. He sees you. He sees you suffering. He sees the injustice. The just judge sees, and he approves. Verse 21, for to this you have been called. To what? Suffering? For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his, his steps. Have you been called to suffering? Mark 8 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So yeah, we've kind of been called to suffering. First Peter 1, I read that not too long ago, that talked about, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Some commentators believe that that word is more like, it's necessary. Like trials are necessary. Their suffering's coming. You've been called to follow Christ's example, to follow in his steps. And you know where his steps led is to Calvary. He only did good. Talking about suffering for doing good. He only did good, mindful of you. So we can do good, mindful of God. Juan Sanchez said, our mastering is the suffering servant, and when we suffer as servants, we follow his footsteps. So Peter's gonna go into further detail in our last couple of verses here about Jesus' example, because he just said, Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you might follow in his steps. Here's Christ's example of suffering unjustly. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He didn't sin, lie, revile, or threaten. He did entrust himself to the just judge. Peter's saying he didn't sin. Peter would know. 
Peter followed him around, spending every day with him for three years. If Jesus lost it one day and blew up on somebody, Peter would have known. But he's saying he didn't sin in his life or in his suffering. He didn't lie in his life or in his suffering. He didn't lie to get out of suffering. When we suffer, there's no excuse to sin. Follow his steps. Second thing is, he didn't revile those who were causing his unjust suffering. He didn't threaten them. Think about that fact for a second. When we threaten they're always this close to being empty threats. When Jesus threatens, imagine if he'd have just flashed his glory for one second while they were beating him down that road. Panic. Everybody scatters. If he, he's the only one that can carry out a threat of real judgment. But like a lamb to the slaughter, he didn't open up his mouth. He endured When we suffer, there's no excuse to revile or to threaten or to buck back or to return evil for evil. Follow his steps. At the beginning, I said there were three reasons that we're told to subject ourselves to human institutions. Here at the end, I'm gonna tell you the last reason. Reason number three, we entrust ourselves to the just judge. We entrust ourselves. Like, how did Jesus not threaten? How did Jesus not revile? He entrusted himself to the just judge. He handed over every aspect. Not my will, but your will. Even the final judgment of his enemies, that was handed over. He was mindful of God, not just of God's comfort, but of God's justice to be fulfilled one day. He entrusted himself to God's justice. What am I saying? One reason we can submit when we're suffering unjustly is because we lay down that revenge We lay down that vengeance. We lay down that bitterness. We lay down that self-pity. They're too heavy. And we cast those cares on him. We entrust justice to God. And talk about freedom. Be free from bitterness. How many of us are carrying burdens of bitterness for years and years because of something somebody mistreated me? Lay it down. Entrust yourself to he who judges justly. Man, what an example Christ was for us. He suffered in a way that we will never, never suffer. Not only physically, not only, I mean like we'll never suffer physical death like he suffered, but even if we were, there's elements of Jesus' suffering we'd we'd never endure because we'll never be 100% blameless. We'll never be 100% innocent. You hear people all the time, you know, say stuff about their misbehaving kids that are like, oh man, I'm paying for what I used to be like when I was a kid. And it's like, ah, you know, that's a silly illustration, but like we have, maybe we don't deserve this suffering, but we sure deserve some suffering. You know what I'm saying? Jesus never had that element. He never sinned. He never earned any suffering. His suffering was unique because it was for others only. We'll never know the torment of being separated from the Father after his oneness. Jesus didn't theorize suffering. He walked through it on a level that we never could, and he did that for us. He's perfect in his person. The last two verses, uh, yeah, the last two verses turn to his work. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's good. He wasn't just our example. He was our rescue. Jesus himself Y'all think about this for a second. Jesus himself, Yahweh in human body, he bore your sins on that tree. Like your lie, my lie, our adultery, our lust, our dishonesty, our gossip, our drunkenness, our slander. He wore those. 
He took those sins and paid for them so we might be forgiven, so we might die to sin and be alive to righteousness. See, we don't just follow his steps to suffering, but also to life, to righteousness. He died to overtake our souls and give us new hearts and desires. He died so we could be healed. By his wounds, you have been healed. Man, that's one of the most concise and profound statements in one of the most concise and profound verses in the scripture. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. My question to you is, have you been healed by Christ? If you're a non-believer, if you've never submitted to Christ, man, forgiveness is here. It's right here. In his person, he's perfect. In his work, he forgives. It's total healing. The last verse. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And this is good news. Jesus found us wandering, and he returned us to himself the good shepherd, the overseer of our soul. That's comfort, man. He loves you. He laid down his life for you. He went looking for you, for our wandering selves to rescue us and to care for us. And now, even in the midst of suffering, he's gonna shepherd us. He's gonna oversee our souls. Even as we suffer unjustly, we're mirroring his suffering unjustly. We're bearing under a lighter burden than Peter's burden. If you're suffering unjustly for doing good, endure. He sees you. Submit to human institutions, not because they've earned it, but because Christ commands it. It's really submitting to God. He bore the cross for us, so we don't avoid bearing it now. We suffer differently with Christ as our example. We suffer differently than the world. We walk in step behind the one who bore our sins, the one who is wounded for our healing, the one who carries our burdens and now oversees our souls as he leads us home. But be warned, this road home is gonna contain suffering. So endure for the Lord's sake. Mindful of God, do good. Let's pray. Jesus is a difficult and nuanced topic for sure. And... Lord, I pray that we would think rightly about it, but I pray that we wouldn't prize thinking rightly over compassionate action. I pray we would submit for your sake, that we'd recognize that this is an easier job than those that um, Peter was commanding. Lord, I pray that we would shine as lights in the dark. I pray that you would help us to endure when we're suffering I pray that we'd follow in your steps, Lord, and I thank you that you bore our sins in your own body while you're on the tree, that by your wounds we're healed. Lord, we worship you for that now. In your name we pray, amen.